Thank you for downloading the sermon podcast for Hope City Church. We pray the word of God leaves you encouraged and hopeful today. Open with me to Psalm chapter 73, verse 25. Psalm chapter 73, verse 25. says this, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who's unfaithful to you, but for me, it is good to be near God. I've made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this morning and the opportunity to gather and um, sit at your feet as a family. And I just pray, God, that you would um, teach us, that you would speak to us this morning. Holy Spirit, you are the teacher of the church, and so I pray that you would come and speak to us now, that we would hear exactly what you need us to hear, that we would take it, that it would be a good seed planted in good soil in our hearts and that it would bear fruit in our lives, Father God, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, every uh, January I I start like like a new Bible reading plan for the year. So like, you know, it's like read through the Bible in a year plans and uh, 2015 I was super ambitious and I decided I was gonna read like the Old Testament once and the New Testament twice like in the year. I know some people do a lot more than that, but... For me, that's like, you know, it was like, I don't know how many chapters a day. It was like seven to 10 chapters a day, I think. Um, and, um, but this last year, 2016, as I was kind of praying about where I was going to go, what Bible reading plan was I going to do, how was I going to get through the Bible in a year, again, this last year, I really felt like drawn to the Psalms, like God was leading me to kind of spend a year, the entire year, instead of reading through the entire Bible, to just soak in the Psalms. And so that's what I did for 2016 is this my personal kind of private devotion time. I just spent the year in the Psalms. Um, and, um, you know, the Psalms are uh, amazing for so many reasons. But personally speaking, they, they've really impacted my prayer life and my times of private worship with the Lord. The Psalms have given voice and expression and shape to so many uh, of my own emotions that I didn't really have words for at the time. And I hadn't really intended to teach a series in the Psalms. I just was spending the year in the Psalms and somewhere around probably October, November, I started to kind of have this thought um, and, and prayer that maybe maybe we should teach through the Psalms or not teach through the entire book, obviously 150 chapters. Uh, we're probably not gonna do that verse by verse, uh, but, but, uh, but to teach from the Psalms. And um, as I began to pray for, for Hope City Church just heading into this year, heading into 2017, I just really began to desire that I and we would experience just a greater intimacy with the Lord than maybe we've ever had before, just personally drawing closer to God than we've ever been. And um, because everything really rises or falls on our intimacy with God and our closeness to the Lord. As the psalmist says, as for me, it was good to be near God. 
He says, whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. And that just kind of became the cry of my heart for myself and for the church um, is just to see us grow in nearness to God. And so as I was praying through those things, I really just couldn't think of a better place to go for that than the Psalms. And so we're starting a series today in the book of Psalms. Um, this is one of the most cherished books in all of Scripture. Now, I know all of Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for many, many, many things, as, uh, as the New Testament teaches us. But um, this, is, this is, for good reason, one of the most cherished and personally dear to many people books uh, in all of Scripture. It's a book that has nourished and encouraged believers from the time of ancient Israel until the present day. I think in your handout I have just a few quotes here, and really this was just a, uh, I picked just a couple because there was just tons of them, but John Calvin says this, I may truly call this, talking about the book of Psalms, an anatomy of all parts of the soul, for no one can feel a movement of the spirit which is not reflected in this mirror. All of the sorrows and troubles and fears and doubts and hopes and pains and perplexities and stormy outbreaks by which the hearts of men are tossed have been depicted here to the very life. Charles Spurgeon said, the delightful study of the Psalms has yielded me boundless profit and ever-growing pleasure. Willem van Gimmeren said this, the book of Psalms can revolutionize our devotional life, our family patterns, and the fellowship and witness of the church of Jesus Christ. Matthew Henry in his introduction to his commentary on the Psalms said this, we have now before us one of the choicest parts of the Old Testament wherein there is so much of Christ and his gospel as well as of God and his law that it has been called the summary of both testaments. And so we just spent 2016 and I spent it personally in my devotion time in the Psalms, but as a church, we started, I think, in February in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is six chapters, for those who don't know. We finished in uh, January last month. So uh, we spent a year in the six chapters of Ephesians. So uh, the 150 chapters of this book ought to tide us over until Christ returns. Um, I'm just kidding. We're not actually going to teach verse by verse through, through the Psalms like we did through Ephesians. Uh, but seriously, how do you even begin to process the Psalms? 150 chapters. How do you begin to process that? How do you begin to dive in as a church? Personally, how do you begin to process that? We'll talk about that more in just a moment. But first, let's just kind of dive into our notes, a little bit of background information. In your notes, you see we're going to talk about the authorship of the Psalms. And so, so let's just dive right in. David is known as the chief author of the Psalms. That is King David, okay? Um, he's known as the chief, chief author of the Psalms. And he's the one we often think about when we think of the Psalms. We think of King David, we think of Shepherd David, we think of this shepherd boy who became king and who, was, who played the, the harp and who wrote songs and was just this, this kind of passionate, expressive guy who was a, a man after the Lord's own heart. We think of David, and we should, because David is directly credited with writing 73 of the Psalms, but the New Testament actually affirms that he authored two others. Uh, that is, uh, Psalm 2 and 95 are not directly credited to him, but in the New Testament, they're attributed to him. And so that's 75. He's credited with writing 75 of the 150 Psalms in here. That's exactly half. Okay? Uh, but David is not the only author of the Psalms. In fact, the book of Psalms has more authors than any other book of the Bible. 
Uh, and so let's just run through this list real quick. Asaph, a priest who served as a worship leader of ancient Israel, he wrote 12 psalms. The sons of Korah, which were just like a guild of singers and composers of music, are credited with writing 10 psalms. Solomon, King David's son, accounted for two psalms. Moses, the great leader of Israel and the Exodus, wrote one psalm. Psalm 90, that was written by Moses. Uh, Haman, a wise man, a musician, and Ezraite. He's, he's a son of Korah and a founder of the Korahite choir. He wrote one psalm, Psalm 88. Coincidentally, if you're a nerdy note taker, uh, Psalm 88 is widely considered to be the darkest and most hopeless of psalms. So yay. Um, <laughs> it's like the one psalm that kind of begins and ends on just a note of despair. And there's just, you know, so if you ever had that day, uh, right? Psalm 88 can relate. Right. Um, Ethan, a wise man and an Ezraite. He was probably a Levitical singer. Um, he wrote one psalm, Psalm 89. And then the remaining 48 psalms have anonymous authors, and they're often, for that reason, called orphan psalms. Um, Ezra, a scribe and priest of Israel, he's thought to be the author of some of these, but really what we're trying to get at is that there's no way to really know, there's no telling exactly how many authors there are to the Psalms. And so let's talk about the date. Because these Psalms are written by so many different people over a period of time, it's at, it, uh, these writings actually occurred at different times, spanning a period of about a thousand years, from about 1410 BC to around 430 BC. So today we're just plowing through some of the, some of the background. We're just laying a foundation for this book. Since 150 chapters, I just want to give us a, a good solid kind of understanding and background. Um, let's talk about book divisions in the Psalms, okay? The, the Psalm is actually the book of Psalms is not actually a book. Um, it's been gathered into one book, but it's actually five books or five collections of psalms and hymns and poems and prayers that have been gathered together into one book that we now know as the book of Psalms. And you actually see these book divisions in the Psalms. If you notice Psalm chapter one, verse one, but right before that, what does it say? It says book one. It says book one. In everybody's Bible, okay? Book one, turn, turn to uh, Psalm chapter 42 real quick if you have your Bibles. Psalm chapter 42. Right before Psalm chapter 42, what does it say? It says book two, okay? So there's actually five book divisions in the Psalms. So book one of the Psalms, book two of the Psalms, book three, book four, and book five of the Psalms. What that means is that over time, as these things were authored, they were gathered and collected into what was kind of the ancient Israel hymn book and prayer book and, and a book of psalms and, and poems and prayers. And they would be gathered. And there were five such collections. And as they were collected, they were then used by the people, by the Hebrew people in worship of God. And, and so once we had these five um, books collected. We collected them all together into one that we now have as what we know, the book of Psalms. But you see there, I'm not going to go through all of it. We know there's, there's this demarcation between books one, two, three, four, and five. We know that actually not because of the beginning of the Psalms, but because of the end of the Psalms. If you see in your notes there at the end of Psalm 41, there's what we would call a doxology where, where it, it just kind of magnifies the Lord. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. You see a similar thing at the end of Psalm 72, at the end of Psalms 89 and Psalm 106. And Psalm 146 through 50 is just this crescendo of praise to God. Many believe, here's why I'm bringing this up, because there's five book divisions 
in the Psalms, okay? And many believe that these five books were actually intended to correspond to the five books of Moses, that is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The Torah, the instruction. Many believe that these were the songs and hymns and poems and prayers that were to accompany the five books of Moses. It's the word and worship, the word and song are meant to be together. Some scholars actually believe there's a likeness in theme between like book one of the Psalms and Genesis and book two of the Psalms and Exodus. And, and they see a corresponding thing between the books, uh, book divisions in the Psalms and the books of Moses. Um, but uh, what we just need to see for our purposes here is that the word and song are, are meant to go together. God wants our head and our hearts, right? There's something important about song. There's something important about poetry. We're going to talk about this more next week, but there's something important about God choosing to instruct us and speak to us and direct us through not just information, but poems and songs. I could give you a rattled off list of information and it may not touch your heart the way the same information conveyed in song would do, right? And so God wants our hearts to connect So when we talk about intimacy and nearness with God and an emotional, personal connection to the Lord, the Psalms are brilliant for that because there's so much heart stuff. It's it's song lyrics. It's it's poetry. It's prayers. It's very, very, very intensely personal. So let me just, this, this is kind of fun. Let's go through some unique and interesting features of the Psalms. I think I have it there in your notes. I know we have a lot of notes. Notes are a little different this time than they will be in the future. But let's look at some of this. It's actually, in case you hadn't guessed, by 150 chapters, the largest book of the Bible has the most chapters. Um, it contains the longest chapter in the Bible. That is Psalm 119, which is breathtaking. And I had to resist the urge to teach through that in this series because uh, it's like 100 and, what is it, 176 verses. Uh, so the long, it's the largest book. It has the longest chapter. It also contains the shortest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 117, with only two verses. Psalm 117 is also the very middle chapter of all the chapters in the Bible. Um, the absolute dead center verse of the Bible is Psalm 118, verse 8. Um, it's just the middle verse of the entire Bible. And... Uh, Interesting little note, there are duplicate psalms. If you go back, take this notes and look at them later, but Psalm chapter 14 and Psalm chapter 53, um, they're, they're duplicate, duplicate psalms. Um, psalm chapter 40, verses 13 through 17, and Psalm 70 are, are duplicate. They're saying the same thing. Repetition's not bad. We learn by repetition, right? Um, psalm chapter 60, verses 5 through 12, and Psalm 108 correspond directly to each other. So here's another interesting fact. The, the, the Psalms contain more prophecies about the Messiah than any other Old Testament book with the possible exception of the book of Isaiah. And so when we talk about the Old Testament prophesying that the Messiah would come and what the Messiah would be like, what the Messiah would do and where he would be born and how he would die and how he would raise from the dead, the book of Psalms contains more of those prophecies than almost any other book in the Old Testament. And of the books of the Old Testament, the Psalms are the most quoted in the New Testament. Jesus himself quoting these Psalms over and over again. At first, 
the, the book was really unnamed, but later it came to be called the book of praises or simply shortened praises. Okay, so the Hebrew titles, I'm not going to try to pronounce that, but you can see it there in your notes. Uh, it means book of praises, okay? The word psalm itself comes from the Greek word, which I will not try to pronounce, which suggests the idea of praise song, okay? So book of praises or praise song. This title actually reflects the main purpose of this book, which is what? To assist the people of God in the worship of God to stir us and spur us on to worship God, both personally and collectively together, to stir our hearts and to give us words to magnify the Lord and to express all of the joys and sorrows and <clears throat> experience of being human and seeking to follow the Lord. So the collection of these psalms served as the first hymn book for God's people, inspired by the Holy Spirit, written to be used in congregational worship, as well as personal private devotion. It should do the same for us. The psalms should inspire our worship. Throughout this series, we're going to try to do songs that came directly from the psalms. Um, so that means we're going to sing some old songs, and that's cool. It's good, okay? Because we're tapping into something that things and words that have been sung for generations from the time of ancient Israel. So, back to our question now. How do we even begin to process a book like the Psalms? 150 chapters, all these poems and prayers and hymns and song lyrics. How do you even begin to tackle such a thing? Well, I, like I said, we're not going to teach verse by verse through 150 chapters. All I want to do with this series is, is maybe pique your curiosity, stir your heart, uh, and, and get you to kind of see the value and beauty of the Psalms for your personal private devotion and for us together kind of as a people. And, um, but how do we do it? There's so many different ways to approach the Psalms then in this series. How, how do we do that? So let's take a look at some of the ways that we could possibly approach this book. Number one, we could talk about the five books that I just talked about. We could look at book one and some of the general content and see maybe how it relates to Genesis. We could do that. Um, Number two, we could try to track David's life in the Psalms. Okay, when he wrote this Psalm, what was happening in his life? What was his personal experience that caused him to write this? Um, and, and it's good. That'd be a cool thing to do. I think the Psalms will give us a tremendous insight into the heart, character, and personality of King David. But I think there's a couple limitations with that approach. Um, first, as we've already seen, David didn't write all of the Psalms. And so if we take the tact that we're just going to you know, trying to trace David's personal life through the Psalms and why he wrote what he wrote in the Psalms, we're going to be ignoring half the Psalms. And, and secondly, even, even if the Psalms that David did write, they're not all directly connected to a specific moment or event in his life by the text. Now, sometimes they are. It says, David wrote this when he was fleeing from Abimelech, his son, or whatever, right? When it makes that connection, we'll point it out, or we should take note of it in our personal study. It's probably relevant. There's probably a reason we're told that. But when it doesn't make that connection, maybe we shouldn't speculate. Because sometimes, and not that it's bad to speculate, but we shouldn't be dogmatic about it is what I'm trying to say. And here's why. Because sometimes when we're given things like this, like one of the great benefits of art, like think of your favorite songs, think of your favorite poems or movies or, or paintings. Your favorite art 
moves you because it touches something in you personally, right? And you end up being able to personalize that song or that movie or that painting or that whatever, right? And if we just dogmatically go, okay, well, this must be about this event in David's life, this circumstance and situation, we may subtly then say, and so it doesn't apply to me. It's just about him or just about his walk with God. And if we leave it, okay, if we leave it open, maybe we will begin to go, hang on a second, Maybe God wants to connect with me through this verse or through this stanza. So I think that's really important. So that's a, that's a good way. I mean, we're going to learn a lot about King David as we look. We're going to see a lot of his heart. You can't read through the Psalms and not see the heart of King David screaming through the pages. So, but that's, I think there's just some limitations to that approach. Third, we could look at, and this is certainly a good option, we, we very nearly did this, okay, because it's such a good thing. I think every sermon needs to get to Jesus. So I think the point of all the Old Testament, I think the point of everything that we do should be to point right to Christ and to the cross and to the resurrection. We have to do that. We have to get there. And so it's very, very, very tempting to, to, just, to just show Christ from the Psalms, to look at the prophecies and to look at all the ways in which the, the Psalms point to Jesus. And we really should. We're going to do that through the other messages uh, in different ways, in different times. But it, it was tempting to, to make the whole series about Christ in the Psalms. Okay? All scripture is ultimately about Jesus. And this is certainly true of the Psalms as well. The Psalms scream Jesus from every page. And there's much to be gleaned and learned about Christ the Messiah from the Psalms. The Psalms contain many, like, as we talked about, many beautiful prophecies about Jesus. Uh, some interesting things. Psalms 114 through 118 were actually sung. It was a tradition. It was sung at the Passover meal. Sung at the Passover feast. So Jesus being born and raised into a Jewish family and a Jewish culture would have grown up singing Psalms 114 through 118, memorizing the Psalms and singing them every time they had the Passover feast. People would, people would eat and pray. Think of a bit. I mean, they knew, how to, they knew how to party. They knew how to celebrate a festival. So they'd get together and they would eat and they would pray and they would sing these psalms throughout the night to remind them of what God had done in the Passover, which pointed to Jesus. Now remember, Jesus, when he gathers together and has communion with his disciples, has the, the Passover meal with his disciples just before he's taken away to be tried and crucified. He has Passover meal with his disciples. They spend the evening and they do the ritual and they do the feast and they do the routine and they probably, it's not too far-fetched to think that they may be sung through Psalms 114 through 118 and at some point Jesus lifts the cup and the bread and he says, this bread represents my body now. Everything that you've heard about the Passover, everything that we've sung about in these Psalms, it's all about me. It's all about my body that's gonna be broken for you. It's all about my blood that's going to be shed for you. And so the Psalms have a beautiful and unique connection to Christ and to the cross and to the resurrection. And then we have some amazing things about Christ in the Psalms. I mean, I mean, in the New Testament, we see Jesus on the cross. And what does he say? There's darkness all over the land. Darkness all over the land for hours. Let's, let's read it real quick. I'm going to flip there. Did I put, have it in your notes? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So imagine you are a Jewish bystander 
or a Roman soldier, and you are looking at this man who has been, hands and feet have been pierced and nailed to this tree, and they've raised him up, and they're casting lots to divide his clothing, his garments among them. You, you get his tunic, and you get his this. Okay, let's cast lots, and that's what's happening. And that's the scene in front of you. And then he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if you are a good Jewish person, you have the Psalms, many of them memorized, okay? And so nowadays what we do is if I want to call your attention to a verse, I'd say, you remember John 3.16? John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And those of you who have that verse memorized would be able to recall that from memory, okay? Well, we didn't have chapter and verse divisions back in, in Jesus's day. There was none of that. And so if you wanted to call somebody's attention to a Psalm or to a section of scripture, you would begin with the first verse and everybody else would call to mind that the rest of that psalm. So if I say to you, John 3.16, your mind naturally goes, for God so loved the world that you remember it. And if I wanted to do that back in that day without chapter verses, I couldn't say John 3.16, I'd say, for God so loved the world. And you would fill in the blank. So when Jesus on the cross, hands and feet pierced, people dividing garments for his clothes, cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting the first line of Psalm 22 which says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you as a Jewish bystander would then call to mind the rest of Psalm 22, which made prophecies about the Messiah, the Savior that God had promised to send. And in verse 16, you would remember that it says, for dogs encompass me and a company of evildoers encircles me. They've pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me and they divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. So Christ on the cross quoting Psalm 22 and saying, remember Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You have pierced my hands and my feet. And you're standing and you're looking at his hands and feet pierced, knowing Psalm 22 is a prophecy about the coming Messiah. Written long, long, long before crucifixion was even invented. So it would be powerful to spend an entire series just showing things like that. Christ in the Psalms. We're going to get there, and we should get to Christ in every sermon and every message. Fourth way we could process the Psalms is to talk about the different types or categories of psalms. That is, there are so many different types of psalms that have been noted. Scholars come along and they kind of invent new categories. Well, this seems like this type of psalm and that type of psalm. And these are really brilliant, wonderful, awesome, amazing people. Uh, but scholars seem to invent new ways to categorize them all the time. And so scriptures, scholars would talk about, okay, there seems to be psalms of praise. That's obvious. There's psalms that are just praising God. There are psalms of complaint where the psalmist is complaining. And we can all relate to that, you know. I've poured out my complaints to God. There are psalms of repentance and psalms of thanksgiving and creation psalms that are just about praising God for what he's done in, in creation. Have you ever taken a hike and come around the corner and watched the sun going down and been blown away and awestruck by the wonder of creation and had this moment where you just go, God, you're amazing. Your creation is beautiful. There's psalms like that where just the psalmist is looking at the world and just going, Lord, how beautiful you are. 
how powerful you are. Those are creation psalms. There's individual psalms, psalms that are just individual moments where you, you're going to get into the psalms and you're going to be reading them. I can't tell you how many times in this last year where I really spent and soaked in the psalms where I'd be reading and I'd go, unbelievable, unbelievable. That's me today right now. That's what I'm going through. Right? It's just a personal psalm. It's just so connected to where I'm at. This individual is meant for individual private worship. And there's community psalms, psalms that are meant to be sung together, psalms where we're supposed to gather and we're supposed to together sing and praise God with these words in this way. There are royal psalms, that is psalms that were performed in the presence of kings or dignitaries. There are what scholars would call wisdom psalms. While many psalms discuss aspects of wisdom, certain psalms focus on the entire theme of wisdom. That's from from beginning to end, that's what the psalm is about, is wisdom. There are what they call psalms of the stories of Israel, which are just songs and poems to retell the story of what God has done, is doing, and will do through the people of Israel. It's to remind them, listen, we do this all the time, don't we? Cultures, we, we have stuff that reminds us of culture. We, we should sing songs that inform us. I was just reading something on, on Twitter yesterday. Because uh, Twitter is the most reliable place for news, and um, no, I was just I, I had a uh, I had a, somebody actually wrote something. It's not news. It was just a kind of a, a great quote. This pastor just said he was talking to worship leaders and pastors, and he says, "Pastors, worship leaders, church leaders, people, people of God, are we teaching songs that can be sung around a hospital bed a cappella in fifty years?" Which magnify the glory of God. And tell the gospel and lift the heart and remind that person who's about to take that step into eternity in that sense where they're going and what this has all been about and what's happening. Who God is, all that he's done, all that he's doing and all that he intends to do for all eternity. Are we teaching songs like that? The Psalms do that. The Psalms do that. Memorize psalms. Find a psalm that magnifies the glory of God and commit it to memory. And vent your own little tune to sing it to yourself. Do whatever you got to do to get it into your heart. <clears throat> we have what are called psalms of ascent. It's one of the categories they give us of psalms. Psalms which were written to be sung by worshipers on the way up to Jerusalem. And all of the psalms really fall into two categories, happy or sad, really, you know, <laughs> positive or, oh, it's a, are you having a rough day today? Okay, right? It's like, like we, so the psalms can relate, but uh, I love this one scholar because he breaks into what he would call, he goes, now get prepared because this is a very, um, you know, scholarly term. He says, it's what I call the big three. <laughs> and, uh, and it's basically this. Of the Psalms that we talked about, the categories of Psalms, I'm sharing this because it just personally helped me. You can take it or leave it, but this is just kind of a scholar's take on one of these things. And, and he was just talking about what he called the big three. And he said, the big three would be Psalms of praise, Psalms of lament, and Psalms of thanksgiving. I think I have that in your notes. Okay, Psalms of praise, Psalms of lament and psalms of thanksgiving. Psalms of praise are those psalms where you're just praising God in general for creation, for rescuing, for, for his redemptive work in history. Just in general, for who God is, all he's done, all he's going to do. It's just a general note of praise to God. 
Psalms of lament are those psalms for when things are not going well. They're the psalms that get into the really real of, you know what, I'm not going to put on my little fakey church face today. How you doing? Not good. How you doing? Not good. Right? Interestingly, this is the largest group of psalms. This is for when life is upside down. These psalms are for when you've lost a loved one or when you're hurting or when you're under attack or when you've been falsely accused or when you've been slandered and you're trying to be godly and bite your tongue or for when you've blown it and when you've sinned and you are racked with guilt and shame. and need to repent. When you are painfully waiting for something and feel like you may be losing hope, the Psalms of Lament give expression to those moments. They're real. The Psalms are so real. They're gut level, raw, and honest. I love the Psalmist's relationships with the Lord because they don't fake it. They go, God, kill my enemies. Because it's what they're thinking and feeling at the moment. Okay? And they trust that God is a big enough God to handle that raw and real emotion. And why bother trying to hide that or whatever? Because he knows my heart anyways. And and we're close and we're intimate. So I'm just going to share that with God because he knows it's already there. And I'm just going to bring it out. And then I'm going to go in my real life and I'm going to bless them. And I'm going to say the right thing. I'm going to do the right thing. But in this moment with God, God, can you just just kill him? Because that would make it a lot easier for me, right? Okay, okay, never mind. I'm sorry. Like I did, right? Lord, so I think it's really important to have those moments. Or, you know what, God, I, I, I'm miserable. Why was I even born? Like, I don't even understand. All I do is fail, and all I do is screw up, and all I do is. The psalmists are that gut level real with God. And what it should do is encourage us to just go, you know what, I can be that real with God, and God loves me enough, and is big enough, and is strong enough to handle that. He can handle it. And it actually strengthens and deepens my intimacy with God when I go and I pull out all the real before him. And I go, you know it's there anyways. You know what I'm feeling. You know what I'm thinking. You know what I'm going through. Let me just tell you. Let me just give voice to it. And plowing through the Psalms in that way, you go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's how I feel. That's how I feel. Uh-huh, I want them dead. Uh-huh, oh, yeah, okay, no. Okay, no, yeah, I do want them to repent. Okay, yeah, oh, no, no, I need to repent. Yeah, I'm, you know, I, oh, I felt like that. I felt like I'm the most worthless person in the world. Okay, the psalmist can relate. The psalmist can relate. And it's huge. Those are the psalms of lament. So psalms of praise, ooh, it's awesome. Psalms of lament when things are awful. And then there's psalms of thanksgiving. When what you prayed for during your psalm of lament, God answered. When you're going, God, I feel so much shame and condemnation. Please pour out your forgiveness and your grace and blot out my transgressions. Psalm 51, remove my sin from me, cleanse me, purge me from my iniquity. And God comes and he brings that purifying and that cleansing and that freedom. And you thank him and you go, God, I cried out to you in my moment of distress and you answered me. There's Psalms like that all over the Psalms. Since God, in my moment of heartache, I cried out to you and you answered me. So where, if they're very similar to Psalms of praise, but here's the difference. Psalms of praise go, thank you God for creation. 
generally. Thank you, God, for your redemptive work in history and in David's life and the people of Israel. And thank you for all you've done. And those things help kind of set the tone for my life. Okay, that's great. But then when things are off, when I pour out my complaint to you and I make a request to you, and then you answer me, Psalms of Thanksgiving are saying, God, thank you and I praise you for what you've done in my life, for what you just did. So psalms of praise are thank you in general. Psalms of thanksgiving are thank you in specific. Praise you for this in my life right now. And and just understanding those three, just those three categories for me, has given so much help to me as I process the psalms. As I walked through that and I went, I have all of those moments. I have these moments where I'm just so thankful for creation, where I come around the corner on that trail that I'm hiking and I'm blown away by the beauty of God. And I've had those moments where I am laid laid in the dirt by my own sinfulness and need to repent before God and cry out to him and request of him. And then I've had those moments where God comes and he answers whatever my prayer was in the moment of distress. And I am so grateful that I I can't help but just pour out thanksgiving to God. I've had that. No doubt you've had all of those moments. So that's why the Psalms are beautiful because they give voice and expression to all of it to all of it. They don't just always pretend things are rosy, but they don't pretend that things are always awful either. And it calls to us, praise God. It says, what, was it Psalm 42? I don't know, we'll find it, but Psalm 42. Why am I, what, oh, oh my spirit, why are you disquieted within me? Why are you so downcast? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. Even in this struggle, we're saying, but calling ourselves to hope. The Psalms will call us to praise. These Psalms, these these categories have also been called Psalms of orientation. So so creation and praising God for all he's done generally in the past, it orients my life. It lets me know who God is and what he's doing, where we are in the kind of scope of redemptive history. It orients me. And then when life smacks me, I'm disoriented. So the Psalms of lament would be like Psalms of disorientation. So there's psalms of orientation. Okay, they set the tone. And then life comes along and it's, okay, I need a psalm of disorientation. Okay, I've just been walled by something. Okay? And then there's psalms of reorientation where God steps into the mess and steps into the brokenness and answers you specifically. And so it reorients us back to, oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. You're a good God. You're a God who hears and answers. This is why you're different than every other God. Their gods have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. That's Psalm 115. The fake gods, but we have a God that sees and hears and knows and cares and responds. And so we cannot miss the personal interaction with God that's found in the Psalms. So when we're thinking about intimacy with God and deepening our intimacy with God, the Psalms are brilliant at that for all of these reasons. Fifth, (laughs) fifth, and and this is going to be the primary way that I think in this series we're going to process the Psalms is we're going to look at personal Psalms. And what do I mean when I say that? This would be kind of teaching from those Psalms that have fed and nourished and personally impacted you. And so um, so I'm going to teach from psalms that have just personally impacted me, that have nourished and fed and blessed my life. I would love to hear from you if there are psalms that have impacted you or that as we go through this series, maybe you go, can, can we look at this psalm? 
Can we talk about this song? Can we take a closer look at this one? I'd love to hear what those are. And the reason I think this is a great option is because the Psalms themselves, as we've already talked about, are very, very personal. They're written very personal. When you read the Psalms, you feel like you're reading the psalmist's diary or you're, or you're, or you're eavesdropping on a personal conversation with God, right? So they're very personal. And they're intended to connect with us personally and connect us personally to God. And so when we have a personal reaction or response to the Psalms, I think it's great to teach out of those, to talk out of those, to share from that place. And so we're gonna look at Psalms that have personally impacted some of us. And my prayer is that as we dive into this book, the Psalms will become very, very personal for you. I pray that they will give shape and language and expression to your personal prayers and to all your emotions and to your times of personal worship, private worship, and collective worship. My prayer in this series is that you and I will grow more intimately close with the Lord than we've ever been as we open this book. And that you will be able to speak the same words that the psalmist wrote that we open with. Whom have I in heaven but you? And on this earth, there's none that I desire besides you. That kind of intimacy. That's my prayer. Amen. Amen. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, God, for the fact that you are a personal God, that you are a living God, that you are engaged now, here, today. And all of our highs and all of our lows and all of the joy and all of the madness and all of the praise and all of the chaos, God, you are in it and with us and drawing us closer and closer and closer to you that we would say, like the psalmist said, as for me, it is good for me to draw near, to be near to God. Lord, I pray that we would all draw near to you as we open the Psalms. In Christ Jesus' name, I pray, amen.